Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm a friend with friends. And I am Bob Chandler. Welcome to episode 169, Halloween Havoc 1995. There's nowhere to hide. Sometimes I wish there was. Yeah. And maybe uh, in the lake next to a roof. Yeah. Ah. Lake next to <laughs> roof. On a ledge. Inside the tire the roof. of a monster truck. Maybe the parking lot. <laughs> we'll find out, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this was the seventh annual Halloween Havoc produced by WCW. It would take place on October 29th, 1995, at the Joe Lewis Arena in Detroit, Michigan, with an attendance of 13,000 people. I know that there's no great Halloween Havocs, and I remember there was a trend where it was like, well, this one was okay, and then that one was like really bad. I don't know where we left off. I don't know that we need to know where we left off, but we do know we're back at Halloween Havoc. So, you know, the bar is low. The bar is very low for Halloween Havoc. Yes. <laughs> it's such it's a tradition. Name. I know. Uh, they all, yeah, everybody's in a diabetic coma, I guess. No, I mean, I guess is, they're not even there yet. This is pre-Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they have no excuses. <laughs> they've got a big red and orange excuse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Candy red corn orange, himself. Red and yellow. Everyone's least favorite candy. Yeah. But we are back in Michigan. We are. It's like two weeks in a row, isn't it? Or almost. Was it two weeks in a row? It was yeah, at least twice in like yeah. the last three weeks or so. Yeah. yeah. No, we were in Canada yeah. last week. That's it, right. Canada was last week. There was a Michigan one before that. Yeah. It's so like yeah. the home of Motown, but not... Not Motown Philly. That bit has been retired. <laughs> oh, I take back it back. <laughs> yeah, I okay. take it back. We're bringing it, we're bringing it back. That's right. We're in Philly enough. It's never going to go away. Well, I feel like we let it go for like maybe six episodes. Yeah. But we're not in Philly. No, we are not. We are in Detroit. Yeah. We're in Detroit. Uh, I made the... I won't say mistake because it was delicious, but I brought Detroit-style pizza a couple episodes ago, not realizing that we were going to actually be in Detroit. So I came up with something different because, you know, that's what we do. We, we, we wing it and figure out what the fuck people eat other places. So I looked up what is a sandwich exclusive to Detroit, and it took me a few because it at first the the first list that i found told me that there was no signature sandwich for detroit that they just Liars. they just like lots of food you know they mentioned something about muffaladas and italian subs and cheesesteaks and like we've already had a couple of those from different places that weren't detroit so i went a little deeper in my dive and discovered a sandwich that i don't know it's it's different it it jumped out at me i mean it, the name alone jumps out at exactly. you exactly you know, it's, it's not electric, but it is a boogaloo. It is a boogaloo wonderland. It dates back to the 1960s. It can be found today at Chef Greg's Soul in the Wall. Motown, it's known for Coney Dogs and other saucy sandwiches. But this one is 
part of the history. Like sandwiches with attitude. Yes. Saucy, sassy, slap your mama. The classic Boogaloo sandwich is seasoned ground beef, caramelized onions, melted cheese, and the famous Boogaloo sauce. All on a toasted 8-inch bun. Um, what is the Boogaloo sauce? I'm, Boogaloo I'm sauce. I'm curious about this. It's, I've, I made it myself, actually. It's kind of like a, a play on barbecue sauce, in a way, I guess. Uh, it's ketchup, a little uh, apple cider vinegar, some uh, Worcestershire. There's a little bit of garlic, some thyme, salt and pepper, chili powder, and something else in there that's not coming to mind. Uh, dried mustard. That's what it was. Yeah, it was, it was kind of like a sweeter, sloppy Joe sauce. Yes. Yeah. It was definitely pretty sweet. All in all, the sandwich, that's kind of what it reminds me of. It's like if you took a Philly cheesesteak and a sloppy Joe and you just mixed it all together real fast, minus the cheese whiz, yeah. add a little American cheese. S- yeah. S- sloppy chopped cheese, no... Sloppy Mo, no, since it's Motown. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. it is. Sloppy Mo, why not? <laughs> uh, this sandwich is definitely not scary. No, no it's it was not scary. scary. It was honestly, good. it wasn't it really was also that very sloppy hungry. either. No, no, that eight inch bun holds yeah. it all together. Yeah, it. Uh, I, I whipped it up here just before the show, so it's, it's also a perfect like, like, drunk food. Yes, I have a feeling definitely. this would do, <laughs> yeah, that'll do really sop, good at sop night. some of it up. Soak up some beers, some whiskey, some something. But yeah. Beef, onion, cheese, sauce, bread. I mean, that's that's basically all you ask for when it comes to a sandwich. So I'm going to take my bite on the air. Will we get a crunch? We will not on this one because the... Uh, toasted it, I think. Yeah. This, the top on this one isn't yeah. as toasty. but It's not like a Cuban. Yeah. We'll Although just, that wouldn't be a bad thing to do with it. Just you know, just 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 take a bite with my muscle. There you go. All right. I was going to say Boogaloo, and I was like, yeah. that doesn't make any sense. But I did it anyway. Wonderland! There you go. I wonder where they get the Wonderland part. That That's I don't know. a treat know. to your mouth. Uh-huh. I'm like, I can probably search through here and see if it says where the Wonderland part came uh-huh. from, but... Who knows? Hmm. That's just stuff I have to edit out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so something that would happen right around the same time as Halloween Havoc, Smashing Pumpkins would release their third album... Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, with songs such as Bullet with Butterfly Wings, 1979, and Tonight Tonight. I mean, three of their uh, biggest hits, three of the greatest music videos of the 90s. Honestly, all three of these music videos are incredible. I was more of a a fan of the videos back in the day than I were the songs. They grew on me over time, but at this time it was just like... All right, just shut up already, Billy. I mean, a lot of pe- a lot of people second. have a hard time with his voice. Yep. I like it, but I understand why people would find it grating. Yeah. But I think that it, when it's nice, it's really nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, of these three songs, what's your favorite, Matt? Nineteen seventy-nine. Shane. I mean, tonight, tonight's the one that sticks in my head the most. Yeah, I like all three of the songs. I think nineteen seventy-nine is the best of the three. What a tune! Uh, and. Of all the music videos, what's your favorite? I honestly don't remember the music videos of. So okay, tonight tonight's I'm, I'm probably like not the, the like person to ask on ex- that expressionist like uh, pop up booky one. Okay, that's right. the one that I'm thinking. Okay, of. tonight uh, or 1979 is the one where the kids are like running around partying and like TPing the house. I mean, that's probably the one that I remember the most. But yeah, it's hard to pick a favorite. Yeah, like, see, the, I mean, those are the two best. I was trying three. to figure out a way to describe it because yeah, it was like I'm picturing almost. Obviously not South Park, but just like 
paper cutouts and stuff moving across the screen or something. Yeah. So it's a very uh, pretty dreamlike one, and yeah. the other one's like pure nostalgia, but not that it's like emotional nostalgia as opposed to like remember this specific thing it's just like oh you remember just being a dumb kid and running around uh and like toilet papering a house and laughing about it i remember those days yeah exactly that's why that video hits so hard i only ever got to tp one house yeah and it was mr ludwig one of our teachers that was his deal every year he he just set out toilet paper outside his house because if you're going to go and do something stupid here just just do it here do it here where i won't where i call the cops exactly that was nice that's that's old bernie was was a, a badass so this reminds me of a funny story where on halloween one night me and two friends were like oh we'll smash a pumpkin because we were <laughs> a little older and then we got high on the adrenaline of smashing a pumpkin and we smashed every single pumpkin in the neighborhood <laughs> And wow. uh, we people, somebody people were probably not very happy. About so, somebody eventually called the cops, <laughs> and my friend we were like hiding through like the like like ditches in between the streets or whatever, like the water runoff. And uh, my f- friend Daniel, uh, who's still one of my longest and closest friends, uh, he ran. Do, do I need to put name redacted in? There? No, no, it's good. <laughs> okay. uh, he ran straight to my house, so the car just <laughs> followed into the house while we were like trying to dodge the car. Me and uh, my friend Chase, I believe. And uh, then we, like, went in my room, and we're like, oh, shit. And uh, we were like, Phew. and then eventually uh, a cop knocked on the door, and my mom, well, my poor mother, uh, had to take us around, and we had to clean up all of the pumpkins. There was, I believe, 11 full, like, the double, like, thick black ones for, like, you know, fall, like, leaves that's mm-hmm. just, like, gigantic, like, wow. 50 gallon, 11 of them filled with pumpkin guts. Good Lord. Uh, we were idiots. It was fun. How many fucking pumpkins did people have on their porch? We did the whole neighborhood. We well, did the whole neighborhood. Yeah, we I know, but still. I mean, it you was, can fit like twelve pumpkins in one trash bag. Yeah, we did. I would say <laughs> okay. I would say seventy to seventy-five percent of the neighborhood, but it's a pretty large Good neighborhood. Good grief! And it was a neighborhood that uh, had a lot of like kids in it, so like you know there was a lot of pumpkins. <laughs> That's my smashing pumpkin story. When's the last time? Either one of you have ever done a pumpkin for Halloween? Probably like three or four years ago. Yeah, it's been about five I like or six carbon for a pumpkin. Me. I mean, it's probably been a good twenty years, if not longer, for yeah. me. I've yeah, just, I carved them. It was something that I just we just never did in my family. Like we did them every year, and then I did them for the longest time. If I knew I was going to be home on Halloween, if I wasn't going to be home, then I didn't worry about it because. My thought was Why some, would some yeah. dumbass kid in the neighborhood's gonna, probably going to pick smash. it up and smash it when I don't answer his do- or answer the door. Sorry, Shane. <laughs> don't Michael where you live. Yeah, I only did it once. Um, but no, I did We're it a few years ago uh, for work because, like, I'm going to be here. Why not? We'll be a, a little bit festive. So, yeah, I cut up a, a couple and stuck them out front of the, the curve. Yes, yeah, so, uh, pump, carbon and pumpkin's fun. You get the seeds, and you can just put on a movie you've seen a bunch of times. Yep. Like uh, I think last time I did it, I put on a bunch of episodes of like uh, Treehouse of Horror. It's a good one. Man, that's all, all the way to go about it. It's always my favorite episodes. And they're great ones. Yep. Simpsons, and then you know Roseanne from back in the day. Yeah. Oh, I don't remember any of the Hall- fuck her now, but yeah, her she that was kind of the the Roseanne holiday each year was they they went all out for halloween oh that makes total sense friends had thanksgiving everybody else had christmas roseanne had halloween well let's talk some halloween havoc 
animation of a house and skulls transforming into highlights of our competitors with narration. Motown's gone mad. The giant has a Jones for destruction. His motorcycling, smashing, back-cracking, bone-crunching, neck-choking rampage has opened a ghastly gate for a man who can't stay down. Now Hogan has turned to the dark side to face the Dungeon of Doom. We all shudder at the thought of their monster trucks. Someone might not survive. If they do, they will face each other in the ring. Wow. So you get the match and the rematch in one night? Pretty much. Pretty much. All right. Yeah, I didn't quite understand... I'm trying to remember back to this time, too, of why the... I mean, yeah, I know he smashed his motorcycle or whatever, but why the fuck do you bring... He did it with a monster truck. Monster truck. truck. I mean, probably yeah, cross-promotion monster truck at that time. Big. I'm sure they probably Big, had a Bigfoot deal, too. was huge, so they just, like, yeah. WCW's yeah. getting into promotion and, and that. My and assumption is that this Hulk Hogan monster truck probably either already existed or they it went on the road after this for a it while. It went on the road afterward. Cause the, because it is very Our gentleman that hilarious. we meet later actually built both of these trucks yeah, yeah. that we'll see. But, well, yeah, back, it's like, oh, they didn't do that just for this. Like, that is way too much of a, like, crazy job. I mean, granted, yeah. yeah, outside of a monster truck is just plastic, but still, that's still a huge job. That was not cheap to make a crazy... Look it up, guys. It looks insane. <laughs> Tony Schiavone then welcomes us to the show, joined by Bobby the Brain Heenan for commentary. And the smoke from the pyro is so bad that you can't even see the crowd behind them momentarily. You gotta beef it up to make it spooky. And we're told that Hulk has arrived in his monster truck making the whole building shake. And we then see footage of the two monster trucks charging at each other with our competitors at the wheel. Bum, bum, bum. Charging. And then going backwards. And then charging and going backwards. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if they were actually driving. I, think I will tell you that, that they are not. I didn't figure uh, so. I'll just go ahead and throw the spoilers. If you, I'm pretty sure I saw the same clip there, with Hogan there, there are, there are two. There are two people in the passenger seats of those trucks that are actually driving the cars. Okay. Gotcha. Tony then also tells us that Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman have attacked Ric Flair in the back. So their tag match might be in jeopardy. Son of a bitch. Shivani then asks about Bobby eating sushi. I didn't quite get what where he was going with this. Maybe Bobby's in Japan? I'm trying to remember. I don't. That doesn't seem like it makes much sense. I think it had something to do with his breath, or something. Uh, I don't know. I have but no clue. Tony at this time kind of has that. I mean, kind of through the whole show has that whatever attitude. But but then Tony right sends us to you. a video package. I wish I was eating sushi with Bobby Eaton. Where we're at a WCW Saturday night, where Johnny B. Bad was supposed to face Sting for the U.S. title. So remember, Johnny B. Bad won the number yeah, one competitor. In a very good match. And this was where he was supposed to get his title shot. But when it came time for him to come out, Bad was nowhere to be found. Mm-hmm. Later in the program, they try and have the match again. But he still wasn't there. So they give the match to fly in Brian. And Sting would win that match. Johnny would finally show up at the very end of the episode, explaining that he had a flat tire. Triple A, man. Dude. Gotta, 
I know. It's just one flat tire. You, a spa- and a, there's no way you didn't have a spare. Exactly. DDP and his crew show up to mock Bad for missing his opportunity. Yeah. Paige basically... Yeah, you are stupid. Basically <laughs> saying it should have been him that would have got, that got the title shot, which yeah. I'm just like, but you, you weren't, weren't in the match. match. Yeah, it went to the other guy in the match, so it worked out how it was supposed to, I guess. Max Muscle then laughs about Johnny having four flat tires. <gasps> when yeah. Bad is all like, how did you know it was all four tires? And then he punches Paige square in the jaw. Oh, what a punch! Because he knows what happened. That's right. I mean, it was very Scooby-Doo. Yeah. They were just missing a mask. But, you know, the silly reveal. He would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for that Max muscle. (laughs) That that pesky Max. That leads us right into our first match. Diamond Dallas Page with the Diamond Doll and Max Muscle. Versus Johnny B. Bad for the WCW Television Championship. DDP's looking for heat. He comes out with a bad blaster. Well, he stole it. He's a thief. But he also came out first. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Hmm. So did he steal it when they slashed the tires? Or did he steal it sooner? Well, he attacked Johnny during a different episode of WCW Saturday Night. Which had upset Kimberly. Who was getting tired of Paige's attitude. I mean, he seems pretty obnoxious to hang out with regularly. Yeah, pretty much. He's got no chill. Bad then enters the arena, walking backwards, stretching his cape out so everyone can see what it says. But it's a decoy. As Johnny jumps the guardrail to attack DDP from behind with right hands and a knee lift before throwing him out to the floor. I know, I was like... That's not Johnny B. Bad. And then I was like, what is this angle? And the angle was, well, he was just going to Pearl Harbor. Him, I wonder who it was. I don't know for certain. It's not very important. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's probably an Armstrong. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Somebody with a tan and dark bring, hair. Bring back Z-Band for oh, I one, one quick moment. I miss him. It's like, we need you to come back for Halloween and dress up like Johnny. Yeah, I miss him. I miss him. Bad follows out to the floor where he has to fend off muscle. Nailing him and Paige with a double noggin knocker before DDP is punched out into the crowd. Back at ringside, Johnny has grabbed a bucket that was happened to be sitting underneath a, someone's chair. Is the hog here? Right. Placing it on Paige's head and ramming him into the ring post. Posted. Back in the ring, Bad slows it down with arm holds and takedowns before hitting a drop kick and going for a 10 count of punches in the corner. Only for DDP to drop Johnny face first on the turnbuckle to escape. Paige starts to work over bad with elbows, knee drops, and a back suplex, which he forces the Diamond Doll to give him a 10 for. She's not very happy about putting these 10s no, she's up. Not. She's slow playing the 10s, because they're probably more like 8s. Like, turn the card over and just have it be an 0-1. Oh, nice. DDP with a pancake for a two count before applying a chin lock to keep Johnny grounded. But he escapes to go for a backslide for a near fall. Sunset flipped by Bad, only for Paige to stay up and punch down. Drop to his knees for a two count, followed by Johnny pulling him over for a near fall as well. DDP with a body slam for a two count, and he goes back to the chin lock, which Bad fights his way up, only for Muscle to give Paige some leverage to knock Johnny back down. DDP then starts yelling some orders at Max which brings him up to the apron to distract the ref, allowing Paige to choke bad with some wrist tape. 
Johnny rallies back to his feet, nailing DDP with a desperation back suplex. But Page is back to his feet first, where Bad ducks a right hand, allowing him to hit several atomic drops, punches, and a flying head scissors. Bad continues with a top rope double axe handle, which gets a 10 from the Diamond Doll, but only a two count. Too bad. Doll could have been Sable. If she just, you know, could have left that dastardly D- Dallas page. <laughs> Johnny delivers a sit-out powerbomb for a near fall, then goes for a hip toss, only for DDP to counter into a DDT. Page goes for the diamond cutter, but Bad blocks it by holding onto the ropes. He follows that up, going for another 10 count of punches in the corner again, when DDP lifts him up, only for Bad to head-scissor Page out to the floor. Bum, bum, bum. I love the hip toss DDT. It's a nice clean yeah, it was spot. Really cool. Uh, also, DDP, I don't know where it happened, but he's got a little bit of blood coming from around his eye. <laughs> you know, organically, he didn't blade. Johnny then fakes out DDP with a dive, instead, delivering a somersault plancha before rolling Paige back into the ring and hits a slingshot splash, completing the bad day. Johnny looks to hit the tutti fruity. When Muscle grabs him from behind, holding him, allowing DDP to charge in, but bad moves, only for Paige to stop in his tracks. But Johnny then drop kicks DDP, sending him into Max, rolling him up for the pin, and no, Paige kicks out. I love that DDP stops short, but then you get the drop kick. It's just like, that's, you know, it's not a comedy spot, but it hits all the beats that, you know, a three panel comic would. Like, oh, no, this is just a good time. Bad is then yanked out by his trunks, where Muscle goes for a bulldog, but he's shoved off into the ring post, where Max catches himself and climbs back up on the apron. Johnny's in the ring, and he turns to see Muscle, allowing Paige to hold him for a clothesline from Max. But Bad moves, causing DDP to take the blow. Johnny then clotheslines Muscle before turning to make the cover on Page for the pin and, and the win. And new. I really thought DDP might have that belt for a little longer. I thought he was going to have it a little bit, but then you know, if if you're going to lose it because you took a clothesline. Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't have had it. And they do the thing where it's like, yeah, he came out first, but at least it was like for the point of subversion or whatever. Still silly, but it's typically telegraphs, as as we know here. The doll stuff's fun. It's a little bit long, but it was a solid match from the two guys. Yeah, I'm not mad at the start to the show. No, no. I mean, Johnny B. Bad, I know, I feel like I always hear people talk shit on him, but he does continuously get better and people like him and he's a pretty great place to put at the beginning of the show ddp's not brian pillman no but he's He's but but he's uh you know he's decent character work and you know he's no renegade solid heel with a with muscle unintended and you know he's got some got a girlfriend who's uh kind of on the ropes no pun intended Tony and Brain then discuss the monster trucks and the Giants' debut. And Shivani claims everyone knows that Hogan can drive, with Bobby kind of questioning that statement. Which I'm just like, <laughs> like, 
Yeah. Does everyone like the, know he can drive? <laughs> Sumo monster truck is an unknown for both men. It's like, yeah, and everyone else that's ever lived before. Well, I mean, Hogan a is a real American, truck. and I guess real Americans know how to drive a big truck. Mm. Sorry. He's, he's American-made, just like his truck. He was a real American. Now he's just American-made. And what, honestly, so are, you know, a bunch of uh, Us. vehicles from Detroit. That's true. Very true. Rest in peace, Detroit. <laughs> Heenan also thinks that both trucks will just fall off the building and explode, which huh. seems kind of dangerous. I mean, yeah, just, also, I uh, don't want to wish death on anybody, but the storyline involves the giant and Hogan Ho- going away for a while. We would be okay with that. Yes. Wouldn't, yeah, we don't want to see him six feet deep. We don't want to wish yeah. death on anyone. We don't need to you know, have him blow up in a, a limo or anything like that. No, mm-hmm. no stupid tricks. Just, just go away. We go to our second match: Zodiac versus Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, brother! I love that Zodiac is from the land of Yin and Yang because he's wearing black and white. I guess. Sure. So the story behind this match was that Macho Man and Lex Luger continued to have animosity after Fall Brawl, so Lex would put his career on the line. Only to cheat to win. Sting would once again step in to make peace by suggesting that they both compete in matches on this show, and if they both win, they could face each other once again. Poor Sting, the biggest babyface in this company, and the longest running babyface in this company, and all he is is just a hall monitor. He's just the mediator, and it's such a shame. Uh, I get so mad whenever I'm like, they just do Sting dirty constantly. Granted, the guy turned out just fine but like just never really gets his chance oh randy and i bring it up too much and i'm sorry you only knew how much your hatred for lex is gonna grow (laughs) oh man don't bump him macho does come out with a with a honey it is not liz of course but this is his first uh wcw honey i don't think it's for any reason outside of just an entrance but so this was actually it wasn't originally zodiac that was supposed to be in this match. It was originally supposed to be Kamala, but he had left the company over a contract dispute. <laughs> I mean... He wanted a full-time contract and was only getting paid per appearance. That yeah. Kind of thing. I mean, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, we don't... All the best... I think to, I think they say something about Kamala was supposed to be in the match. To old, to old Moonbelly, but him and Zodiac, it's like, well, whatever. Kind of interchangeable. Mm-hmm. So Savage attacks from behind as soon as he is in the ring, smashing Zodiac's head into a turnbuckle, when all of a sudden there is some guy on the apron who jumps in the ring with Pee-wee Anderson tackling him. This was actually a drunk fan that jumped into the ring. And I, the only reason, the reason I could tell was because they kind of shy away from it on commentary, but the camera does not glorify it at all. So I was like, oh, this is a shoot, but... You know, macho yeah, and security officials all come running down. They they take him down. So while that's happening, they brawl. Around macho him. and Zodiac brawl out to the floor. It was not the original plan for this match. Yeah, I mean, Macho Man is uh, a professional, and well, I guess Zodiac is too. They've been around long enough. They were around when this probably happened more often. Yeah. <laughs> so it probably happened in Memphis quite a few times back uh, when Macho was there. Yeah, I'd imagine so. So while they're out on the floor, Savage slams Zodiac's head into the guardrail multiple times, only for Zodiac to return the favor by running Macho into the ring post. 
posted. I love that uh, Bobby Heenan says, listen to the ovation, like the ovation for Macho Man. And it's just the crowd's going nuts because they're like kicking this guy out. Uh, but, you know, I'm sure Bobby got a kick out of that. Back in the ring, Zodiac hits a body slam, comes off the second rope with a splash, only for Savage to move, and heads up top himself for the flying elbow, for the pin, and, and the, the win. win. Squash match. Yep. I know, and it was like, was this supposed to be longer? I, I guess no, not. Yeah, not. And the other thing is, it's like, well, it was... It probably actually went longer than it was supposed to. It was uh, quick and kind of, I mean... Not pointless, because obviously Macho Man is wrestling again later, but the it wasn't as fun as G.I. Joe versus Cobra, Cobra, Cobra or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <Craig Pittman. laughs> yeah, whatever. I couldn't remember the names. Anyway, uh, not the, not a prime Macho Man elbow, but, you know, if, with, if we're lucky, we'll see another one later tonight. Yeah. We get mean Gene Okerlund in the locker room, and he says he overheard Jimmy Hart speaking with someone he used to manage in another federation. But he can't talk about it here, but call that WCW a hotline to get the scoop. Hmm. You're right on. wonder who it was. Try and bring back Honky one who more knows? time. You know what would be really funny? This is just a random thought. If there was rec- like a good amount of recordings from the WCW hotline <laughs> that somebody just compiled into like a YouTube video or just podcast or something kind of like the same way that people do like you know prank call compilations and stuff but it's just like wcw hotline just like some little kid and i don't know if they were even on the phone or if it was because i never called one or if it was just like uh, pre-recording pre-recording yeah Yeah. exactly so if i would be you know it's not really any good if it's pre-recorded mean gene then brings in johnny b bat who speaks about overcoming adversity if you believe you can achieve, dreams come true. He says a lot of nothing. He says, I never gave up. And it's like, I never said you did. <laughs> Johnny then screams he's a bad man and starts to leave. But Okerlund brings him back to see if he wants to get some Greek food with him. And that he would even sing Tutti Frutti at karaoke. Love to see that. I was just like... Did, did, did all of a sudden Okerlin get a thing in his ear going, We need five more we, seconds. We need ten more seconds, guys. <laughs> ten more seconds. Like, what? I mean, it has to be that. Tony then sends us to some video footage where we see at Clash of the Champions 30, Sting and Road Warrior Hawk had defeated Ming and Kurosawa. But after the match, Kurosawa would break Hawk's arm. No. I mean, that's, uh, that's pretty crazy. Broken wing, or what was it again? <laughs> bullet and a broken wing, or a oh, <laughs> bullet with butterfly wing. Butterfly wing. Damn it. Mm-hmm. Got it wrong. It's all good. So there was go, a bullet in his butterfly yeah. wing. <laughs> so that leads us right into our third match Kurosawa with Colonel Robert Parker versus Road Warrior Hawk. I know, it's like Kurosawa. It's like the guy was just like, well, I mean, I'll just take the last name of the most famous Japanese director. I was like, oh, yeah. I don't know who this guy is. And I'm more thinking, okay, so Robert Parker went from a bunch of good old boys to Ming and then Kurosawa. I mean, he's at least making his way, I think, in the right direction. So the last time we saw Kurosawa... From Island to Island. ...was at Battle 7, episode 140, 
as Manabu Nakanishi. That's Nakanishi, and I didn't notice. Who's on excursion with WCW at this time. Does it look like Nakanishi? I mean, I'm it just, does. I, it does. It's just hard for me to remember. Yeah, I know. I don't remember what Nakanishi looked like, so I'm going to say yes. Just maybe the hair is different, or he's got different I trunks. mean, he's grown the hair out a little bit. He's a little bit beefier than the last time we saw him. Plus, he's not wearing just his young lion trunks and stuff, so... Yeah, I'm used to old man Nakanishi from getting into New Japan in the yeah. last few years. Plus, he's been retired for a little while. So the match gets going as Hawk goes right after Kurosawa with forearms, a shoulder tackle, and a neck breaker, following up with chops and kicks before growling at him, which Heenan just says sounds like a fat girl sitting on a beanbag. Okay. I mean, that's the thing you can say. <laughs> I almost use it as my name. I'm, I'm a fat guy on a beanbag. Road Warrior then misses a corner charge, but when Kurosawa grabs the arm, Hawk just pulls it away, picking him up with a gut wrench suplex and a powerbomb. Way to sell the arm, Hawk. Right? Hawk goes to run the ropes, only for Parker to trip him up, allowing Kurosawa to hit a body slam, but he misses a top rope elbow drop. I mean, like seven years of no selling for the be- from just, the beginning of your career seven years? to what the, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, basically a decade of no selling on top before your star fades. And he didn't really have to learn. And he didn't. Oh. What a rush. <laughs> oh, what a rush. The Road Warrior clotheslines Kurosawa out to the floor and then leaps off the apron with a flying clothesline onto the colonel. Kurosawa uses the momentary distraction to ram Hawk into the ring post before rolling him back into the ring to deliver a back body drop and a Samoan drop, making a cover with leverage as Parker holds his feet for the pin and, and the, the win. win. And how the Hawk has fallen. I was like, is this like the first time we've ever seen Road Warrior Hawk actually get pinned? It's the first time that it really hit, that I know that it, that it hit me where I was like, what? Yeah. At least at least that emotion, yes, was completely true. Yeah, I was like, yeah, there's big boos for sure. I mean, it's a good way to get people to boo, but it's like, how long is Chris Howard going to be here that he's going to be healed up? We go to the locker room again with Mean Gene, who's there with Randy Savage pacing the floor. And Okon explains the situation with Luger. And Macho Man says, it's one down, one to go. Even joking about the audience participation. Savage then calls out Hogan for comments he made about him. And when Mean Gene goes to ask a question, Macho just yells, your mustache is crooked which hurts Okerlund's feelings, so he responds with a, Your beard is out of line. Neither seems to know how they got to this point. So uh, I mean, Macho Man almost breaks, which never happens. It's pretty cute. That's when you just throw your hands up and like, I'm not talking. <laughs> <laughs> but they refocus back to Lex momentarily before talking monster trucks. And Savage says, My curiosity is killing me, just like a cat would be killed by the curiosity. Macho Man is on fire in like one of his least remarkable promos, but it is so charming. Him and Okerlund are just having a blast. He follows that up with friendship is friendship and business is business. And Hogan drew the line in the sand. He's just following it. Macho Man had nothing to say and it was still incredible. Yep. I'm uh, trying to remember what the hell Hogan had said. 
That I don't remember. Has he made some comments? But (laughs) has he ever said anything? No, probably not. I mean, you can find some uh, audio and video recording of him saying some interesting things, but you know, they don't involve wrestling. No. So we go to our fourth match: Mister JL versus Sabu with the original Sheik. I mean, Sheik's hometown. He kind of had. Almost the first like big outlaw promotion because he only put himself over and nobody wanted to work there after he just killed his own territory. But that's a different story that's worth looking up. So Mr. JL is Jerry Lynn. Oh, I was wondering who it was. They, I believe, our good friend Bobby Heenan says he's a jerk at lunch, which is the kind of nonsense we love him for. But Jerry Lynn is a hardcore Hall of Famer. Is that the only Hall of Fame? That is the only Hall of Fame. You're a Jerry Lynn guy. Other than he's a Hall of Famer in, your heart. in my heart. He's one of your like top three, right? Uh, top five? Top ten. I'll yeah. go top ten. Top I mean, ten, yeah. You're a bigger I, Jerry Lynn guy. I haven't got to see people. a whole lot of him, but the matches that I have seen of him, he's amazing. Like yeah. you, you guys are going to Become, love Jerry Lynn. Well, By the time we're done with yeah. ECW. He's an underappreciated guy, which yes. there's a lot of in wrestling, but it seems like people eventually kind of get, a lot of people eventually get their due. And maybe Jerry Lynn hasn't. No. Not I yet. mean, he's your favorite wrestler's favorite wrestler. Yeah. He's yeah. that kind of guy. Yeah. So I'm, I'm primed for it. My favorite band is, is uh, everybody's favorite band's favorite band, so it makes sense. Yeah. So last time we saw the original Sheik was at night the line was crossed. All the way back in episode 111. Hmm. He teamed up with uh, Pat Orient Express. Tanaka. Pat Tanaka. Pat Tanaka. Thank you. Okay, I was thinking, I was like, wait, no, that was, uh, I was thinking of. In one of those five minute Spa's ECW matches that we used to get. Yeah. I got my guys with swords mixed up because I was thinking. Yeah, that was uh, Tiger Ali. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking of. Of Jeet and Ali. Is that where they shot a fireball or? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that one was in Japan. Okay. So Sabu slides into the ring to attack, but JL responds with an insiguri that sends the Arabian out to the floor. Also, is this our first Sabu on WCW? Yes. Okay. I mean, I we, saw, we, saw the, sure. we saw the promo for him yeah. coming mm-hmm. on the first Nitro, but this is our first match of him. In WCW. I'd imagine maybe the last, but we'll find out. Mr. JL follows out only to be run into the guardrail, followed by Sabu hitting an Asai moonsault, which takes out the Sheik as well. Jerry Lynn fights back to send Sabu into a guardrail, followed by a top rope crossbody. Back in the ring, Sabu sends Mr. JL to the corner, charging in only to leapfrog up to the ropes, coming off with a moonsault that JL avoids. Mr. JL then climbs to the top rope, coming off with a moonsault of his own for a two-count. JL continues with a sit-out powerbomb for a near-fall, but then misses a corner charge, allowing Sabu to deliver a slingshot senton for a two-count. Sabu climbs the ropes, but Mr. JL grabs him for a German suplex and heads up top himself, only for Sabu to recover to punch him and climb up to nail a victory roll for a near fall. I mean, you go to the top. Now I'm going to go to the top. You're going to go to the top. I'm going to whip you. You're going to move. You're going to go to the top. And I'm going to go to the top. 
This is a uh, like somewhere between ECW and Best of the Super Juniors yeah. or uh, Super J Cup. It's very it's very funny. So you don't know what happens next? I'd love to know. Sabu goes to the top again. <laughs> Only for JL to hit a springboard dropkick to send the Arabian out to the floor. Sabu climbs up to the apron, yanking Mr. JL throat first across the ropes before delivering a split-legged moonsault for the pin and no win. And then all of a sudden, the Sheik throws a fireball at Mr. JL. Because yes, yeah. that's what the original Sheik does. Yeah, he has what he. He's like, I'll show up for the Can't money. Be mad but can I throw a fireball in my hometown? Do. I don't. I haven't done it in a while. Uh, not at least in front of anybody. Very e- ECW meets BOSJ, but like very, of course, not nearly as violent. But it's like, all right, well, most best of the Super Juniors. Like, well, we slow this down, and it ends with us kind of more dramatically trading these top rope moves. Matthew has an announcement. So now. this would be the last time <laughs> oh my gosh. we see Sabu in a WCW ring. It would also be the last time the Sheik would ever be seen as on that moonsault that clipped him. He broke his leg and would have to retire from in-ring competition. Damn. Oh, poor guy. Well, I mean. Because he nice. wasn't expecting it. Sabu. I mean, yeah. He did it. Yeah. Took out his own. Whatever, uncle. uncle. Yeah, it's his actual uncle. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I guess I, I would have to assume this is before him and Sabu basically burned themselves alive in FMW, or did he... This That was the last time okay. the original Sheik ever did anything okay. it might, yeah, wrestling-wise. Okay, so I know the FMW thing where he got like burnt to a crisp because they just lit the ring on fire and it went up fast. So it, mu- it must have been before. Before that, yeah. Uh, it's a, you know, Damn. it's a uh, so dark yeah. side of the ring. Yeah, that's why he had to come up and throw that one last yeah. fireball just out of, because, you know, something to remember you by. Mm-hmm. Tony then recaps the Giants' appearance, such as throwing Andre's shirt at Hulk and choking Hogan in the dungeon's cave before sending us to the stage. Where the master is in the arena with the taskmaster at his side. Did you write all of this down? Screaming nonsense about the moon and the stars. And there will be a total eclipse. I wrote it all down. I did will not be reading it? it. I don't know why I did it. I don't know why you did it. Yeah. It goes like it goes like, forever. It's like a full page and a maybe like a page and Did the any corner. of it make sense? Like, after no. you wrote it down and read it back? Because no. it didn't make sense as he was saying it to me, but I wasn't for sure if let's, I was hearing him right. Well, they did, it said everything really slow, and I was like, damn, they remembered all of this? I'll just say the last line, I guess. Lightning does not strike twice in this universe. But they said it probably took like 30 seconds. There's lots of pauses. Lots of Hogan's. Father! <laughs> the master continues by saying Sullivan will walk upon the galaxies because of the giant and the insurance policy. The taskmaster then claims Hogan's evil is out of control because he wears black and that their monster truck is the strongest. Sullivan then continues with saying that Hulk has no friends. Sting, Savage, and Luger are all vultures clicking at his heels. Which... Technically, they should be because he's the fucking champion. Yeah. yeah. Like, everybody should want the belt. Also, I love that it's like when most people 
have turned evil or whatever. It's like, well, they grow a mustache. Hogan, Shit, he starts wearing off. black and loses the mustache. Well, he didn't lose it on purpose. He no, had it taken he didn't. From. He didn't lose it on they purpose. They stole his stash. It's like an inverse like Spock. We go to Mean Gene in the locker room with an array of guests. Okerlund first asks for an interpretation of that promo, and I can't help you, Mean Gene, at all. Michael just tried to. He said lots of lightning in galaxies. Vulture's clicking at the heel was probably the most important thing in it, if any of it was important at all. Uh, The insurance policy was probably the most important part. Very bizarre that they even say insurance policy when he's like sitting on a frost, a frost not coffin, frost throne. Okerlund then introduces his guests. And there's Mike Hill, who won the Harley Davidson contest on the first Nitro, if y'all remember. Oh, wow, yeah, this is another great promo. Um, He's there with his wife to collect his prize. Tony and Doris from Carlini's Harley Davidson. And, of course, Hulk Hogan and Jimmy Hart, who are in all black. The Hulkster says Maniac Mike inspires him. Calls Tony Carlini Cadillac Jack, threatening to twist his arm to get more chrome on his bike. Doris then presents the Hills with some merch before inviting them to the store in California for other extras. It's like you want to go halfway across the country. I mean, I don't know where where Mike Hill is. I don't know where Mike... I think he was from Alabama. Yeah, sounds right. If I remember correctly from the first night, don't hold me to that one. Well, no, I think you're right because, yeah, I want to say he says something about driving that motorcycle home to Alabama or something like that, yeah. Uh, mean Gene then reminds Hogan about his motorcycle, with Hulk lamenting the loss and touching the seat of the of Mike's motorcycle that's sitting there, saying it's the only thing he will touch lightly tonight. Ew. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. Well, there was a, Mean Gene also has a very like hitting on Doris line as well. I don't, oh, that's I don't right. remember what it was. I don't know if I have it. But Hogan goes on by saying he's going to lay the giant next to his father in Detroit. Disrespectful. I know, this whole Andre business. Wait, Andre's buried in Detroit? I mean, that's where he got body slammed. Oh, that's true. Callback. I'll give, I'll, I'll give, I'll give him one point, for, one point for the callback. Yeah, the shirt thing was silly, but whatever. We then get an ad for the next event. World War Three. And Tony explains that it will be a three-ring, 60-man battle royal. Oh, brother. My stomach turned as my eyes rolled. (laughs) And the winner will receive a title shot. The Brain then mocks Mike Hill about living in a trailer park, but he flubs his line, so Shivani makes fun of him. Which I thought was funny as well. Yeah, the motorcycle looked nice in that trailer park. Three-ring, 60-man battle royal. With one giant in each ring, by the way. Who will the giant be in each ring? I mean, one of them is probably the giant. That's I don't, a good possibility. I don't know what other giants we have, really. Um, I'm sure Van Halen uh, will be around. One one might be uh, making his debut, debut later. All right. <laughs> I mean, we always need a promotion with three giants. Oh, of course. That's how that works. So we go to our fifth match. Ming with the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan. Versus the total package, Lex Luger. And Tony tells us that Ming had attacked Shark during a match with Luger, which fueled speculation 
that Lex was working with the dungeon. Because Shark at one point was in the dungeon. Ming at one Ming's, point was in the dungeon. Ming's in the dungeon. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, dungeon. Uh, a shark attack, huh? Poor thing. Luger attacks first, slamming Ming's head into a turnbuckle many, many times. Eight times, I counted it. So it actually works. Before they start running the ropes, only for Lex to work his way into catapulting Ming into another turnbuckle. After a rake of the eyes on the ropes by Luger, Ming responds with kicks and turnbuckle smashes of his own, before grabbing a small package for a two-count. Ming keeps up the punishment until he charges into a big boot in the corner followed by a Lex clothesline that sends him out to the floor. He's got that steel in his elbow. Luger follows out and shoves Ming into the ring post before beginning to work the arm. Posted. Slamming it on the post and the ropes. Double posted. Ming then answers with chops and biting, avoiding a corner charge and countering a back suplex to land on top for a near fall. Uh, Hogan, Ming is a heel, so he bit him. Ming then nails Lex with a shoulder breaker and a pile driver before starting to wear him down with multiple holds and chokes until they collide on stereo crossbodies with Luger on top for a two count. Ming then recovers to deliver a back suplex for a near fall before tossing Lex out to the floor where the Taskmaster doesn't attack but seems to be talking to Lex. I know. It's uh Taskmaster is, uh, uh, we've got kind of like the doll cam in the first one, keeping an eye on uh, on old K-Soul. Back in the ring, Ming keeps up the attack with kicks and forearms, only to miss a drop kick, allowing Luger to back body drop Ming out to the floor. Ming is then right back up to the apron, where the two men fight over a suplex with Lex winning, bringing Ming in the hard way. Luger continues to fire up with several clotheslines, a back body drop, and a power slam before calling for the torture rack, which allows Ming to grab a golden spike from his boot. Ming nails Lex in the throat with the spike and covers him for the pin, and no! Sullivan jumps in the ring and lightly taps Luger with his boot, so the ref calls for the disqualification. Uh, yeah. Post-match, Golden Spike. Ming is confused, along with the rest of us. Yep. Uh-huh. The Master shoving, tries to smooth things over. Shoving Sullivan, but the Taskmaster explains they want Savage and Luger to fight. With even the brain saying it doesn't make any sense. And when Bobby says it doesn't make any sense. Especially about some heel stuff. He doesn't even try to smooth yeah. it over. I... <laughs> this match gets the Golden Spike Award. I was going to try and think of something to say also, but I'm just going to take another bite of my sandwich because that match just doesn't deserve my Oh, yep. We're back in the locker room. His mean jeans there with the giant in a jumpsuit. And Oakland talks about the monster truck match and the weight of the trucks before asking for the giant's thoughts. And he just grabs mean jeans hand to pull the mic closer, causing Oakland to cry out in pain. Giant's hands are like... Giant. Giant. Yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. Oh, the means has... He's like, I'll hold it or you will. <laughs> Giant says if Hogan has the guts and heart to show up, he'll push him off the roof. And then whatever's left can just hand him the title. 
push him off the roof. There's nothing left. Nothing is left. Yeah. Mean Gene then changes the subject to the title match with the giant saying Hulk is going to get the beating of his life if he lives. Before screaming, WCW Heavyweight Championship on the belt. Hogan, you're mine. <laughs> He's a talker. WCW Heavyweight Championship on the belt. On the belt. <laughs> hey, he's a rookie, I guess. That takes us to our sixth match. The Enforcer, Arn Anderson, and Flying Brian Pillman versus Sting and the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Woohoo! I mean, I think we earned it. Yeah. I mean, anytime the four of these guys step in the ring, either together or individually as, you know, one-on-one... I'm I'm okay with it. Yeah, if the worst one, uh, like if the worst, or worst, it might not be the right way to put it. I was gonna it. say if which is the, the worst. If of the least talented uh, wrestler in the ring is Sting, at the least at belt. least I don't mind calling Sting uh, a wrestler. Well, you were allowed to call him wrestlers back then. It was okay. <laughs> yeah. So Double A and Pillman come out throwing up the four hand sign, while fans are throwing trash at them. Yeah, they were. Including a piece just hitting the enforcer right on the chin. <laughs> but he doesn't even flinch. No, because he just smart. wipes it away and keeps on walking. We love him. I mean, and him and Pillman looks, look nice together. It's like st- big, big Bear and Baby Bear. The Stinger comes out alone as Tony tells us that the Nature Boy is still receiving medical help. Because remember, he got beat up That's right, he before got... the show. Oh, they man. told us that. Uh, they didn't show it, though. No. no, they did not. Sting has to fend off some double-teaming to start, forcing them out to the floor to regroup, where Flying Brian just yells at the cameraman, We want Flair! The crowd is hot for Ric Flair, and they go in and out of that chant consistently. <laughs> the Stinger evades them and takes them down once more with face plants, right hands, and chops to force them out to the floor again. We Pillman enters the match and slaps Sting before luring him out to the floor where Anderson tries for a clothesline, only for the Stinger to duck and retaliate with clotheslines to both men. Back in the ring, Brian tries a different tactic, going for a handshake, but Sting just boots him in the gut and nails a press slam. Arn comes in looking to take control, only for the Stinger to reverse a pile driver attempt into a catapult. That sends Double A into Pillman on the turnbuckle. Sting then launches Flying Brian off the ropes into the guardrail before returning to deliver right hands to Anderson. But the Enforcer recovers by ramming the Stinger's head into Pillman's. The old double noggin knocker. Double A then takes control with a shot to the gut when Flair all of a sudden runs into the ring in street clothes and his head all bandaged up. I mean, huge pop. He's going after Arn, but the ref stops him and forces him into a corner. Rude. Anderson tosses Sting out to the floor, where Brian can work him over by sending him into the guardrail. Before back in the ring, Pillman and the Enforcer just continue to double-team the Stinger, while the Nature Boy is forced to look on, itching to get into the fight. After a double-A body slam, they attempt a rocket launcher, only for Sting to get his knees up and... Starts to make the crawl, only for Anderson Wait, to cut off Flair. the tag attempt Wait, with a back suplex for a two count. Arn goes into a knuckle lock, trying for the pump splash, but the Stinger gets his knees up again. 
making that crawl once more. But this time, Flying Brian distracts Nature, causing him to leave the apron and chase after him, allowing the Enforcer to pull Sting back to the corner, where he locks on a leverage-aided ab stretch. They are doing a beautiful job of milking the hot tag because people were hot for Flair. Flair didn't even come out. Flair's here now, and Sting has taken too many blows by the time Rick gets there. And since Rick is the face, he's staying in the corner. And what a way to bring excitement to a fever pitch, the way the whole purpose of wrestling, and spoiler alert, that it's uh, predetermined. For this purpose. People should remember that. Don't you steal my fun. No, they should remember that you're supposed to... The whole idea is that you can get the The best reaction. The drama builds. Pillman with a face plant, rubbing Sting's face into the mat, hits some chops before applying a leverage-aided half-crab. More double-teaming and holds when the Stinger looks to rally, only for double-A to cut him off with a spine buster for a near fall. They go to work on the leg of Sting with Flair screaming at him to stand tall when the Stinger would fire up to nail a double Naga Knocker, allowing him to make his way to the corner for the hot tag. The Nature Boy jumps in the ring, Woo! does some strutting, yeah. and then turns and punches Sting right in the face. Right. My God, uh, how did you punch? Did you love that moment? Swerve. All three men then proceed to attack the Stinger, and the ref calls for the bell. Hell yes. Post-match, Sting fights valiantly, but the numbers game is not on his side as Arn holds him while Pillman and Flair throw chops and punches. I mean, there may be... Th- Three men on Sting, but Pillman is holding up four fingers. Nate rips the tape off of his head as it was all a ruse. And the refs try to stop him, but they get attacked as well. Mean Jean's in the aisle, calling what we just saw disgusting. But not enough to not plug the hotline. With Road Warrior Hawk and Mike Tanay on the phone right now. He then stops the Nature Boy, Anderson, and Flying Bryant for a word. And Nate says, it's time to go to school. You don't jump on double A. You don't play around with Flying Bryant. You never mess around with the Nature Boy. And you don't walk, talk, or breathe unless the horseman wants you to. Anderson then chimes in to be careful what you wish for calling the fans bloodthirsty for wanting this. Flair then ends it all by saying, Reunited and it feels so good. I mean, Horseman come on. style. Come on, it's so... The Dungeon of Doom is completely... was completely neutered here. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah that's your heel faction. It's like, we just had a incredible horseman angle that did everything that wrestling is supposed to do in the like most textbook of way. It's like it's so good. I love that Arn says like, you know, all all you bloodthirsty fans uh, asked for this. Well, you got it, and now you got to deal with it. And I was like, fuck yes. We we'll, I'm so happy to deal with this. Tony wonders how long this plan was in effect with the brain just laughing about it. Uh, if you think we were excited about it, how do you think Bobby felt? This is like the closest thing to wrestling he's seen in a while. We then go to Mike Tanay in the locker room with Lex Luger. 
And Lex says things are perplexing about the situation. Perplexing? I know, I was surprised at how big of a word he used as well. It's just funny that, yeah. The perplexing Lex Learned some new words up north, didn't he? (laughs) But he believes that forces want his match with Savage to happen. He doesn't know if he's 100%, but he promises to be all over Macho Man. Before reiterating, he came to WCW to be a world champion. Luger continues by saying this is the biggest match of Savage's career. And the total package gets what he wants. And tonight that is to take Macho apart. Piece by piece. Oh, Lex, I've got some matches I need you to watch. He's going to snap into him like a slim dunk. <laughs> we go back to Shivani and Bobby talking about the monster truck match before throwing it to a video package where we get clips of the giant destroying a toy monster truck before throwing his father's shirt at Hogan. It was then revealed that the giant was part of the Dungeon of Doom as he came out of the wall at Mount Doom with Hulk being attacked. We get footage from Fall Brawl where the giant would run over Hogan's Harley Davidson with a monster truck and snapping his neck at the end of the night. And Michael called this on Fall Brawl. The Hulk was, he did a neck brace gimmick there for a couple weeks, (laughs) vowing to get revenge by building his own monster truck. We then see the path of destruction that the giant took on Nitro, even going as far to shave the Hulkster's mustache. I know. I wish his mustache was like, uh, oh, why can't I think of it? The, the guy's hair. You know, the, is it a Greek thing? The what? I have no clue where you're going. Yeah, the I don't guy's know. hair. It's like some like old mythology. His strength was in his Hercules? hair. Hercules? Is it Hercules in his hair? Or uh, Samson. Samson. That's the Bible. Bible. Old mythology. Yeah. <laughs> For um, some people. I hear Samson. I think of half-baked. Uh, you, that's what I heard too. I want to talk to Samson! <laughs> that's exactly what I heard when Matt said. Hogan would then return in black the next week with the Dungeon of Doom being barred from the arena. Then this last week at Mountain Doom, the Master would call forth his insurance policy. The Yeti, who was in a block of ice. Yeti! We then see the giant choke slam Luger and Sting. The Hulk would smash his face into a turnbuckle to slow him down. We then would see the Yeti actually break out of his block of ice before we see the monster trucks being built. We then have graphics of the truck morph into pictures of our competitors. Like, yeah, Animorph style. Remember those books? We then return to the announce booth where Eric Bischoff and Bob Chandler, the creator of Bigfoot, have joined Heenan. And Chandler says he built Hogan's truck, it has a racing engine, and runs on alcohol. And they start to get into a bunch of technical terms that no one really cares about because it's time for our seventh match. Hulk Hogan versus the Giant and a monster truck sumo match. Bum, bum, bum. The, uh, the trucks have 1,500 horsepower and uh, each wheel weighs 1,000 pounds. That was the some of the technical stuff. They yeah. said some other things too. Total weights were like ten or fifteen thousand pounds. Yeah. They run on alcohol. They get too close or something, they'll explode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what you're telling me is uh, Bobby Heenan is a monster truck. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> so a guy with a mullet, who was actually the stunt coordinator, Ellis Edwards, gives the rules of the match. Winner must push the other truck out of the circle with both axles crossing the plane. There are also charges surrounding the circle and will explode if touched. And if they don't disable the truck, keep on trucking. It's basically like it on top of a building, like where the helicopter, where a helicopter, it's like a helipad with cones and monster trucks. Yeah, it was yeah. on top of the building that was next door to the Joe Louis Arena. Yeah, uh, I can't remember the name of the building. I believe, is it the building that WrestleMania... No. no okay. It's not the Silverdome. No, it's not the Silverdome. Okay. So, Hogan and the Giants start yelling at each other before they enter their trucks, while a welder locks the trucks together. Which I was like, this is the quickest welding job ever. Oh yeah, he just puts, he just makes some sparks. It was just probably uh, a chain and some uh, industrial strength carabiners or whatever. I mean, I'll just tell you guys right now, this was actually filmed the night before. Yeah. So it's all cinematic match. I mean, I could tell that at the beginning where they showed them like in the truck and like the reactions and movements because I believe they get reused again here. Same thing with Hogan. Yeah, same so scene. The two trucks start to push back and forth as we see our competitors driving, but you can actually see the real drivers in the wide shots. Bischoff keeps implying that someone might fall off the roof, hmm. but if you look at the how it's laid out, like no one is going to fall off this roof. I mean, there, it unless does they seem just like, like get stuck in like like they can't. They get stuck they, in neutral the and someone just yeah. doesn't work all of a sudden. I'm like, I mean, it does seem like one side's kind of like close or whatever, but I mean, obviously, you know. Chandler says, trucks yeah. like this. Chandler says he expects Hogan to be slow as the Brian jumps in with, we always expect him to be slow and he never lets us down. That's my dude. Mm-hmm. The Hulkster's back axle breaks the plane finally, but it was only one, it wasn't both. It was just the, it was just the so boot. It's not the, enough. The monster truck booty. It's like one foot hit the floor, but you need both of them in this rumble. The giant then pushes Hogan into a charge with fireworks exploding. But Hulk rallies to push the giant out of the circle. Post-match, the giant exits his truck and chases Hogan to the edge of the roof. They trade strikes when the giant begins to choke Hulk as they inch closer and closer to the edge. Hogan breaks the grip, which causes the giant to stumble and fall over the ledge. And then we get a nice shot of the lake. The Hulkster panics, you know, because he just killed a man, mm-hmm. and runs off for help as everybody is shocked. Get help! I didn't mean to do that, dude! Hogan... <laughs> Heenan asks if it was the parking lot or Riverside that he fell off, with Eric saying it doesn't matter before Bischoff leaves to handle the situation. Bobby does such a great job of being concerned. Mm-hmm. He does not shut up for the rest of the show about, somebody give me some answers. Yeah. Nobody's got a phone. Yeah, yeah. That's when I realized that Tony, he just didn't give a fuck anymore because his, his expressions throughout the rest of it was just like, Whatever. I mean, Tony, yeah. never the greatest commentator. He's best with a microphone in his yeah. hand, but... What do like, you expect me to do? For interview stuff, but he's no 
mean gene yeah and he can be fun with bobby when he needs to be but but tony shivani is not a top five wrestling commentator we love him because he's tony shivani yep we go to our eighth match the total package lex luger versus macho man randy savage and shivani returns to the announce booth saying they might not have a title match with bobby still freaking out demanding to know what happened i mean the Giants probably did. Lex offers a handshake, but Macho refuses and attacks, slamming Luger's head into the turnbuckle before whipping him into a corner, only for Lex to bounce out with a clothesline. Luger with turnbuckle smashes when Jimmy Hart makes his way to the ringside, with Lex keeping up the attack with stomps and chokes, dazing Savage, causing him to swing at the ref accidentally. Lex then sends Macho out to the floor, where he follows out with a double axe handle from the apron, looks to ram him into the guardrail, only for Savage to reverse, before also sending Luger into the steel steps and the guardrail several more times. Back in the ring, Macho with a clothesline, before coming off the top rope with a double axe handle, only for Lex to catch him with a shot to the gut on the way down. Hart then jumps on the apron to distract the ref, while Savage reverses an Irish whip followed by running into a knee in the corner, allowing Luger to make a leverage-aided pin, but the ref is still distracted. Lex then goes to send Macho to the ropes, but it's reversed with Lex being sent right into Jimmy Hart, knocking them both down, followed by Savage coming off the top with a flying elbow for the pin and the win. The crowd is confused, and I don't know if they're just like, annoyed at the stupidity of the monster truck angle or 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 they they're in shock or they or they're actually in shock but they really don't seem to care about uh, anything at this point and can you blame them i mean mean, this is another one of who do they cheer for i mean very good point because they're both faces at the moment yeah yeah. but also if you i don't want to bring up owen hart dying at a wrestling but Something traumatic just happened. Are are you just supposed to like keep going and be yeah. like, yeah? Is it not? And then you're followed up by a face a face match where there's no turn. So it's like, oh, if there was a turn, maybe. But it's like, how many things are we? And gonna Jimmy do? Hart coming out like just what, it's supposed to it's supposed what? to like confuse, I guess, the situation. And it it did it really does it the does. best <laughs> the best part about this match was Bobby Distraught says. How can I do Nitro tomorrow? And her official says, well, you have to, Brain. It's your job. <laughs> it's just like, come on, man. He's distraught. Tony starts talking about the main event, and the Brain just wants answers. So he starts to leave, but then returns. And he goes on a rant about how he can't get answers with all the phones and walkie-talkies. He, he says he goes way back with the Giant's father, accuses Hogan of faking concern. And just begging for any information. Yeah, that like yeah, Tony's like, well, he fell five stories. And it's like you're not being very comforting to your friend Bobby the Brain. <laughs> no, just get over it, Bobby. Just shake it off. Mm-hmm. But that Bobby seems to be the only person that's like trying to put this over in any way at all. Well, I mean, he was he was great friends with Andre, the, with his father, and you know he probably knew him since he was you know knee high at six months these old. These guys like at least be worried about a athlete in their company dying because even if this is wrestling it's still a like 
coworker, a yeah. coworker, and somebody that's contracted to your your sport company. So that's that leads like, us right into our ninth match. Let's get there. Uh, Hulk Hogan with Jimmy Hart versus the Giant with the Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Michael Buffer's here. He makes those introductions, introducing the Giant first, but the Hulkster enters instead. Uh-oh. So the champion came out first. Foreshadowing. Hogan in black, I just... It's like, I just, yeah. I just, I'm just so well, ready. That's what I thought when I first saw him was, is this the same thing he wears when they actually do? It is the exact same. <laughs> the only difference when the he belt. comes back, well, maybe the belt, but he also has the uh, black beard. Oh yeah, yeah, but like, the yeah, just painted on beard. The uh, it, it's just funny that yeah, this feels like a test run for yeah. like his heel turn. It's like, oh well, I guess when we do, we'll we'll spend Voodoo Child money. I don't know. <laughs> Hogan takes the mic, saying what happened was an accident, and he apologizes. Hulk continues to ramble when the Dungeon of Doom music hits, and the giant emerges without a scratch. What? Not even wet. Hmm. So he must have fallen on the parking lot side of the building. Mm-hmm. He's got those cat-like reflexes. He maybe, just uh, on his feet. Yeah, maybe the, the, the shark... Oh, shot gosh. out of the water <laughs> and caught him gently in his teeth. You shark! <laughs> I don't know. Ugh. Hogan is shocked and he bells out to the floor. But once he returns, he takes his bandana off to reveal his forehead is painted with the Taskmaster's markings. And I seriously think this I know, is I was the point like, where I really... was watching this and I just like took off my glasses and threw them on the couch. You just like, like wiped, what the fuck? Wiped, wiped your brow in frustration. Like, is he? Are they really gonna do a heel turn? It's like I know they're not. I doing really a heel feel turn. like we should just take a picture of my face because this I is, like, I think, the way we all feel right now. <laughs> yeah, like, like, I mean, hold that. We'll put it, we'll put it on the twitters. Mm-hmm. We can. Uh, what we should do is uh, portrait mode. There use we go. your. Let's uh, get the full on. Use your there edit. We go. Your photo edit and draw on the Taskmaster markings to match. <laughs> <laughs> but the Hulkster starts laying it in with right hands. But he can't take down the giant, so he tries for a body slam. He, yeah, he's like to no avail. I threw the man off the building. I guess he survived. First so, yeah. thing I should do is hit him, or pick him up and slam him <coughs> two feet down because you know seventy-five, however many feet he fell, didn't. Do Five anything. stories. Five stories. That's all right. Yeah. The giant responds by attacking Hogan's back, whipping him around the ring, hitting big boots and chops. Hulk then places the giant's hand on his throat for a choke. Y'all saw that, right? Mm-hmm. Continues with more chokes before they go to a test of strength. Oh, brother. He's going from horsepower to horsepower of strength, an H-O-S to a T-O-S. The giant controls it when Hogan fires up, only for the big man to kick him down. The giant continues the punishment with a back elbow, a body slam, and goes for a leg drop, only for the Hulkster to avoid. Hogan with turnbuckle smashes in multiple corners before a ten count of punches, some back rakes, and several clotheslines that send the giant out to the floor. The Taskmaster leads the giant back down the aisle, which I'm just like, you survived a five-story fall, but now, like, some back rakes are going to cause you to leave this yeah, match. Yeah, back Shlubs. rakes and an eye poke. 
with gloves on your hands. So there's not even a scratch. You're just getting like soft cotton rubbed on your back. Uh, he just scratched scratched your back. He's Hulk, being a pal. Hulk catches up with him, hits a noggin to belly knocker because you know Taskmaster. He's a little short, guy. Giant. Mm-hmm, about as thick. Before eye raking and throwing the big man back into the ring. Hogan continues with throat thrusts, right hands, shoulder blocks, but still it's not taking the giant down. So the big man counters with a backbreaker and locks on a bear hug. I mean, we don't love bear hugs here, but no. you gotta delete it's I do it's not like, love them here. I do not love them there. I do not love them anywhere. If, if you're gonna do it, you gotta sell it. You gotta, and this just looks like he's guy got to do to get a trap hold around here. It just looks like somebody holding up their drunk friend. The Hulkster punches his way free, only for the giant to body slam and go right back to the bear hug. Back back bear hugs. <laughs> Make it three. Come on, you can do this. Three in a row. Hulk escapes again, only to walk right into a choke slam for the pin. And no, no Hogan kicks out and starts to Hulk up. Wow. Finger point. Right hands. Big boot. Body slam. Leg drop. Cover. And the no! Jimmy Hart nails the ref with the belt. Hogan doesn't see this. So Hogan turns around and tells Jimmy to help the ref up. But then Jimmy hits Hulk with the title belt as well. Only for Hogan to no-sell it and start attacking Hart. You! So we tease Hogan heel turn. That hard. And we get a Jimmy Hart heel turn. It's almost like they pulled the rug out from under us. Surely, Jimmy, are you the insurance policy or whatever? The giant grabs the Hulkster, putting him into another bear hug. He's not the insurance policy. There's my third bear hug. But he is on the payroll. With the Taskmaster getting some shots in as well, while Hart calls for reinforcements. Savage and Luger both run down, only for Jimmy to hit Macho with the belt as well. Then the... Yeti comes stumbling his way down to the ring. By the way, the crowd's going pretty wild. And then the Yeti comes out. I don't know what they're going wild about, but they're going wild. Because Savage just ran down. Yeah, but I mean, uh, Jimmy Hart. You finally have somebody you can cheer about in this fucking match. You got Savage. It's the first time. I mean, this Jimmy Hart probably hasn't been a heel in a decade. Not since before WrestleMania 9. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but if, and if you have no clue what the Yeti looks like, he looks like a mummy. Yeah, he is a mediocre mummy costume. A, a, maybe not Angel Soft, but maybe Charmin. He climbs in and joins the giant in a double bear hug of Hulk. Yeah. Basically looking like he's dry humping him. All while Lex has started attacking Savage as well. Luger like tells the Yeti to quit doing what he's doing because he's he realizes that it looks stupid. Luger then lifts Hogan up into yeah. a torture rack. That's what looks stupid. <laughs> I mean, it's what it's yeah, it's uh, yes, yeah, stupid plus stupid. Followed, Still stupid. Followed by the giant and the Yeti doing their double bear hug to Macho before Lex tells him again, quit doing that. It is dumb. Uh-huh. And Luger then lifts Savage up. 
into a torture room. The ref is finally back to his feet and calls for the bell and the disqualification. Bobby Heenan yells, you'll never see a pay-per-view like this again. Please, and I hope I'm not. Like, oh, Bobby, you clever son of a bitch. Post-match, the giant grabs the belt away and begins to pose with it, even though the title cannot change hands on a disqualification. And the crowd is upset. Uh, I don't know if they're upset at Jimmy Hart. I don't know if they're upset that uh, they paid money for this, but they are throwing shit. Uh, something we haven't seen in a while outside of ECW. Uh, ECW throws stuff because they're monsters. These people are throwing things either out of rage or disgust. Probably 50-50, depending on the age of the person that paid that is in the, in the building. Dad is uh, disgusted, and the son is angry. Jimmy Hart yells, no more Hulkamania, as he leaves the ring with the rest of the Dungeon of Doom. Officials are checking on Hogan and Savage, all while Tony and Heenan recap the evening and promise answers on tomorrow night's Monday Night Nitro. Before saying goodnight, and we go to credits. Mm. So I got a couple fun notes here for us. Bring it on. The Yeti is Ron Reese, who might be known better as Reese, the big old huge enforcer guy that was in the flock in a couple years. Okay. Okay. Alright, not super familiar with uh, Reese. When that's your your biggest thing that you've ever done... Yeah. You're not I'd, much. I'd yeah. say I'm Reese before I'd say I'm Yeti. There's, I mean, there's a good chance that there's a Yeti action figure. Probably not a Reese one. Oh, I hope not. Also, the next night, it would be revealed that Jimmy Hart had put a clause in the contract that the title could change hands on a disqualification. That's how you get it off of Hulk Hogan? That is how you get it off of Hulk Hogan. Gag me but, with a spoon. But... The giant would be stripped of the title because it was Hart who had interfered. Yeah. Because he interfered on uh, behalf of, of, the giant. of the giant. So technically... Nothing happened. Hogan should technically still be the champion, but they gave it to the giant and then took it away from him. So guess what's up for grabs at World War Three, guys? Hey! I wonder who wins World War Three. So, gentlemen, I ask you, what are your overall thoughts of Halloween Havoc 1995? Some of it was fun. Almost all of it was dumb. And it was pretty long. We all know what the best moments of the show are. It's also the hottest moment of the show. This happened. <laughs> this step, This happened? Yep. I don't know that it was like, it wasn't a like boring watch because it was just everything was so stupid, but it was not as fun as other stupid things we've seen. I'm going to jump in here because I disagree because I literally, you turn your brain off on this one. I mean, one. yeah, I took so I'm that looking in. for that text you sent me too because I was going to read I that. I took and that one in with enjoy me. Enjoy the show yeah. from minute one all the way to the dry humping. This show is just so ridiculous, and sometimes that can be a good thing. And in this instance, it was. It, it worked. Yeah, you were in the you were in the zone for it. I, sometimes you are. It just worked for me. The uh, 
I did. You uh, warned me, and like in a way where you're like, just have fun with it. So I, it was not a chore because I was like, you know, you you primed me for it. But I was hoping for it to be a little bit more, even more. I mean, literally, which is saying a lot. You have the first two matches, which the first match was pretty good. The second match is that savage. Squash. Squash match. Which is kind of exciting because there's the fan thing. But literally then Mean Gene has that interview with Johnny B. Bad. And after the interview is over with, like, he calls him back and has him, like, do this whole, like, Greek food, karaoke thing. And I was just like, at that point I was just like, okay, that was weird. And then the show show just like, that's where it went off the rails. And it never got back on. And it just, like I said, it just gets so ridiculous. Yeah, and the only thing that, that wasn't ridiculous was like, was, was classic <clears throat> classic wrestling angle done kind of to a T. Oh, I agree. The, the, the Four Horsemen. That, like, beautiful. That is the shit that we kind of love the most, which is your classic... That's like Mid-South shit, right? Yeah, I mean that's I mean, that's just that's just that's just American wrestling. That's classic tag team yeah, wrestling. That's right classic like prime territory shit. Yeah. Shane, how about you? Yeah. Started off decent with the uh, the DDP Johnny B Bad match. That one went a little bit longer than I thought it should, but I wasn't mad about it. I like the Zodiac squash because. It was a, a stupid character with a pointless wrestler trying to just get a paycheck that shouldn't even fucking be there in the first place. And then, yeah, it was just... Up until you got to the Horseman Sting deal. Had fun with that, and then... I, I don't... I don't watch sumo wrestling, but I think I would enjoy regular sumo wrestling a whole lot more than this monster uh, truck yeah, yeah, bullshit. Yeah, monster truck bullshit. They just was... needed a name for it, but like, yeah, real sumo is great and very rewarding, but... That's just two cars going back and forth and being like, okay, now you know, it's time. Like, that went for five minutes of them going back and forth. You know what's kind of crazy is the thread of this show being like the Dungeon of Doom and then Macho and Lex and like... Oh, starts at the second match, but that nothing really gets tied together in any strong way, even though it all culminates to the last couple minutes of the show. But none of it feels very connected. The through line feels very broken to get to that. So, like conceptually, they're like trying to build this thing, but they do it so clumsily. I have read reviews of this show, and basically, some say that. If you weren't watching Nitro, like if you didn't watch the Nitros leading, leading up, up to this, that a lot of the storylines didn't make a whole lot of sense. I I did my best to be able to give context. Yeah, and we understood it I, through I the show, but like the like being like excited for it is yeah. hard because it's like oh well, we can't do that and they just can't do that in one night. I saw what they were going for, but it felt disjointed but it makes sense if they were they had to have been at least building this for a month yeah i mean at least since fall brawl yeah yeah so i mean it's been going on for a a while it's just like oh i mean that's how you sell a pay-per-view 
Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smart it up. So what are some of the best moments of this show? Macho's promo. Macho's yeah, promo's great. that was fun. The Ric Flair turn. Ric Flair turn. I mean, that whole tag match is just so good because I was pumped because everyone else was pumped and they wanted Flair in there and Flair came out late and he was in his dress clothes and then he comes in and the crowd is so hot and so hot for him to be in there and he just, first thing he does is lays out Sting with like, fucking closed fist punch and it's just like perfect build like and they didn't have to do that for four months it did it in one night it said rick flair got beat up earlier the only thing they could have done better was show rick flair get beat or show him on the ground like grabbing his head or something but we knew that and then he didn't come out so it is but that's the only thing they could have done to make this even more impactful and i don't even think it was necessary because like yeah this is the kind of shit is if we're gonna not gonna have like fucking wrestling matches, just like straight wrestling matches, like a babyface heel. If we're gonna do fucking angles all goddamn night, this is how you do an angle. <laughs> this yeah. is the fucking textbook. Johnny, be bad Scooby Doo moment. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it too. That was fun. Like I said, there is a bunch of goof nuggets. That's, that's the thing. I. Like, most times, there are, like, a couple really good moments, but a lot of just, like, eh. I think this show just has a, a lot, lot of, of high-end moments. High, yeah, like, high, it's like... But, like, overall, it's stupidity. It's, it's like, the a bunch of, like, the best scene from a, a bad movie that you're, like, laughing at kind of thing, where it's like, oh. Yeah, this is the Troll 2. Good, good point. This is the Troll 2 of wrestling... Pay-per-views. Great way to put it, Matt. That is really good. I mean, the, like, 10-minute Taskmaster. Wait, is this, uh, like, the Vegas vacation, then? Of... <laughs> sure. <laughs> and uh, what's his name? Uh, Taskmaster and... The Baxter. Yeah, and the Master. It's like... Yeah, that whole promo, like... Forever long. What? Yeah. Okay. You um, could just play that to somebody out of context, and they would scratch their head and probably giggle. I mean, yep. I obviously loved seeing Jerry Lynn show up. I mean that match was that was actually fun. a really fun yeah it's a it's it's your glimpse into what WCW is going to do with their cruiserweights yeah it is uh what uh, and to think that it's a, it's a you know I don't want to say it, spot it, monkey but it's a spot yeah it is monkey. but here's the thing this is Mr JL and Sabu the next time we have this kind of match it's probably going to be Benoit Guerrero yeah Malenko and Guerrero and you know Malenko and Benoit and, like. They know how to work a match better than Sabu ever. Sabu can do yeah. some fun, and he's Sabu very compelling. Is compelling in spots. Yes. Yeah, he's but compelling he, in like just energy and yeah. spots and successful spots. Yeah, and then those guys are uh, <laughs> fucking perfect. They're workers. Yeah. Sabu um, is a train wreck that we. We love. got to see a spinebuster, guys. We that's got to see one, a spine that's one of the spinebusters, and we got to see a Always. spinebuster from Arn right before. Told the crowd, you know, don't know, don't you know? Yeah, you're not always gonna like it. What you Raising ask the for. fingers and just bringing it back. Oh, dude, yeah, love it. And you know, leaving the show, I'm just like, who's the fourth man? <laughs> who's the fourth man? I want to know who the fourth man is. I bet we find out pretty soon. I know. I'm legitimately excited, and I was. That was my biggest takeaway from the show. Was like, I need to know who number four is. But it's great that they set it up with three. It's great that Pillman's there. 
Got your your uh, young guy. You got uh, Ric Flair, and then you've got Arn, the Enforcer. Well, Shane, you got one. I know you do. We're talking best moments still? Yeah. I've already said. I mean, the best I and mean, the worst moments are pretty tied together. <sighs> in a weird way. Okay, well, then we'll move on to... Yeah. Like, <laughs> most I, I, most I disappointing moments. And see if... Uh, Yeti, Hogan, and Taskmaster. Yeah. I mean, just the overall ending of the show, the sumo match. How did you feel about the trash getting thrown into the ring? Did that put a smile on your face? The sumo match is disappointing just because it was just like... A waste of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're wasting time on this. And then to having fall off the building to then just like literally 15 minutes later show up. Yep. It was like, I know you were trying to build tension, but... You know what would have been great is if uh, that the way to do is it? if they did like a uh, composite shot of like of the giant like spinning on a green screen, but then they have them like fall uh, off of the side uh, of the building, and then they do like a shitty little fake splash in the water. <laughs> I would have loved that. Now I may have misread this, like the guy falling in RoboCop, hmm. but he actually. Did fall off the building. Yeah, I. They had, I read they had like one of the big pads. Like, fireman pad things. Oh wow! So he literally fell the five yeah. stories and they into even, one of those big. Pad they, things. they didn't even get a shot from the side, not getting like that would have been incredible. That's crazy. That they would set all that up and not get a shot that's framed, so they don't have the safety stuff. So you could just see a shot of him falling because you can tell if it's a dummy. It's not like they, they're not. It's not yeah, like they definitely don't make dummies that big. And it's like if you're gonna go that far to to like legitimately, not even you didn't even well, try movie I've magic. Got, you I, did actually. When I actually like, read stunt. that, I was just like, this stunt coordinator needs to be fired. Like, I think the, the director not, needs to be fired for not getting do that not shot. Need to do this? No. No, I, I can't remember what it was, but I saw something Off not too building. long ago where that's it insane. Was, that makes me so mad that they didn't get that shot from the side. It was old just Paul even White if it was out the window. How, you know, I was younger, so yeah. It was it was a Paul White interview. Yeah, Hogan. Yeah, asked me. I was twenty one, twenty two, whatever. You want to just take the fall off and I'm like, sure, yeah. I can't believe they didn't record it though. That I fucking makes just me in case so it went mad. Wrong, they, I don't know. Still, I mean. Brandon Lee got the shot on fucking film. most disappointing thing for me on this show, other than the sumo, yeah, because that's definitely up there. Most disappointing actually is the running macho Luger Jimmy Hart storyline. Like mm-hmm. it's too convoluted for it to make any sense. Overall, they get to the point where they're going with Luger joining the Dungeon of Doom. Yeah, at the end, it's just. But just getting there... Poorly done. Poorly. That's what I was saying about it being so disjointed. It's like, that is the story of the show, but Four Horsemen did a perfect story in like 12 to 15 minutes. Yeah. That was actually hot. The crowd was hot as fuck. And plus, I don't even know if they told Ming what was going on. And I didn't even see it coming. Yeah, these matches, I mean, I was happy with the... Savage squashing Zodiac because Zodiac is a fucking pointless, stupid, ridiculous character. But I don't understand the point of having that match, the squash match, having the 
whatever the hell the Luger Ming match was, where nobody seemed to understand it was once what again was going to on. it was to plant that like is Luger with the Dungeon of Doom that it, it, yeah. like I said it was to continue that but they so, just didn't was, do it well it, they didn't do it well and like I said I don't even know yeah. if they told me what was going on because he sure said he wasn't working the angle no he was just having a half-ass match yeah and we know Ming is a talented guy we've seen him have like for a minute there they were kind of putting Ming over as a badass because like he, he, he is a badass. He is, yeah. I mean, he absolutely is. He's but the like, only guy that old Giant's father was afraid of, apparently. <sighs> How about best performer of the night? Bobby. Yeah, I think it might be Bobby. If it's not Bobby, it's Ric Flair. For yeah. I would, yeah, I would say Bobby and then just the whole horseman angle. It's like, well, they all, they all did it to the best of their ability, but Hogan, but not Hogan, but Flair. Got to do the promo, and then Arn caps it off with a "fuck you." Yeah, yeah. What you want and what you get, you know, are not always the same thing. Yeah, Bobby was so good in this episode, though. Like him. I mean, I usually like unless it's just like this, like really, really good line. I don't write it down, and I think I had like three, three or four lines of yeah, Bobby's on this one. So later. I usually let, I usually leave the commentary. Stuff to you guys, and yeah, we had yeah. we had some Bobby was too sure. good. I had like four or five potential nicknames for the show that were all Bobby lines. I mean, that tells you how good he was on this one. How about most surprising? Um, I mean, I'll admit whenever I was first watching the show, when I mean, I, when I found out Kurosawa was Nakanishi, I was like, oh, oh yeah, cool. I mean, uh, that's just because I. I like Nakanishi. Yeah, I would say while watching it, it was the like Ric Flair punch. I just should have seen it coming, didn't see it coming. And then once the Kurosawa match ended, I was like, "Oh, Kurosawa won over Road Warrior." That was that yeah. was that. I, yeah, honestly, I already forgot about that because we're talking about I everything mean, that's that, not wrestling. That match, <laughs> that match alone, the Kurosawa Road Warrior Hawk match, like it is out of place on this show completely. <laughs> like, it, there's no reason for it to be. There's no reason for it to be on the show other than. Road Warrior Hawk is going to get the pay-per-view payday. Honestly, that... Uh, I guess there's like three matches that don't have anything to do with this giant thread that they're doing the rest of the show. But that's pretty crazy that there's only three matches that don't have to do with this like pretty poorly done angle. It's like the Jerry Lynn Sabu... Which that's pa- my other page. surprise. Yeah. I love seeing Jerry Lynn Sabu. Yeah, Paige so. and... Um, Johnny Be Bad, and then... Uh, That's for a title, so it makes sense that it's on a pay-per-view. And then the uh, Horsemen are like the only things that don't have to do with the Doom angle. Yeah. The Doomed angle, if you will. It's the way... Yep, Doomed. Surprising, surprising, surprising. Oh, but Bobby was like, I'll never see a pay-per-view like this again. And yeah. I was like, hell yeah, Bobby. <laughs> you clever son of a bitch. That's why, That's why you're... Uh, the MVP here. And you even worked so hard to sell uh, the Giants' uh, death-defying mm. stunt we didn't see. Can't believe you did that. Surprising for me, I it has really nothing to do with the show. It's the fact that even with the amount of weed that I smoked watching this show to make me enjoy it more, it just didn't help. I just wasn't a fan. Would you I couldn't, I couldn't turn my brain afterwards. off. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. 
But hey, it's Halloween Havoc. It's tradition, so. You wish that you were Abby in the electric chair before. Yeah. While you were watching this show. Yeah. Because at least I'd have, you know, Rick Steiner jumping somewhere nearby me. (laughs) And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. Eastern Championship Wrestling had opened their doors in 1992 and would have a tournament for the NWA ECW Heavyweight Championship on April 25th. Jimmy Snuka would defeat Salvatore Balamo in the final to become the promotion's first champion. Jimmy Snuka, born 1943 in the British colony of Fiji, before moving to Hawaii where he became active in bodybuilding, earning the title of Mr. Hawaii. Snuka would then opt to go into the more lucrative career of professional wrestling, making his debut in 1970. He would make his way to the NWA Pacific Northwest, where Jimmy would hold their top title six times, along with the tag belts six times as well. Snuka would then make his way from territory to territory, always making his way into different title scenes, such as the NWA World Tag Team, and NWA United States Championships. By 1982, Jimmy had joined the WWF under the guidance of Captain Lou Albano. He would lose several title shots versus WWF champion Bob Backlund in his time as a heel. In 1983, Snuka would feud with Don Morocco, which would lead to the most famous superfly splash of his career when Jimmy would leap off the top of a 15-foot cage in Madison Square Garden. Snuka would move on to other promotions before returning to the WWF, where he would become the first victim of The Undertaker in his undefeated streak. For his accomplishments, Jimmy Snuka is a member of the Professional Wrestling and WWF Hall of Fames. But Snuka wouldn't have to wait long for a challenger to his ECW Heavyweight Championship, as he would have a title match the very next day. I forgot that Snuka was the first Undertaker casualty. I forgot he had to face old Big Sal to win it. Oh, yeah. We never saw that. (laughs) Okay, yeah, we didn't see that one. We didn't see that. Okay. Well, then there's a reason I forgot it because I didn't see it. Sal Blemabomba. Who knew that Sal was a heavyweight contender? Yeah. Was like. The hand cam uh, the... was six, like six was nineteen ninety three. Yeah, I believe so. Was yeah. the first like their first show in ninety three. Like they used to run shows at a sports bar. And I've seen some video of some of that stuff. And rough very rough. I mean uh yeah, like from uh you know I mean the fifteen foot cage superfly splash is like the thing of legend. Nobody saw shit like that in like eighty two and then Snooka's you know, wrestling, wrestling in the barn, but he's also a murderer. You heard it here first, guys. <laughs> I'm sure this is probably not the first time. I know, I think it was a joke. Next week, we're headed to watch some hardcore TV. Ooh! So, the episode we're going to watch is from October 31st, 1995. So, you can catch that on the network. Pre-Halloween Eve? Well, 31st. I mean, it's the 31st. Oh, it's the 31st. So, yeah. Halloween. Halloween. 
Yeah. Extreme Halloween. Anything but Havoc. Yeah, please. Music from this week's show is Fire and Brimstone by Chris Payne. And the giant won the main event. So we're going to play the Dungeon of Doom theme song. (laughs) Written by Jimmy Hart. He wrote that, huh? That might be the worst Jimmy Hart song. Well, you know. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there and rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast at. Do as Michael says. Five stars or no stars. That's right. Just like this show. It's either five stars or no stars. There's no none for Shane. Five for Mad. I'm sitting at like 3.8. It's closer to five. Closer to five, it is. Yeah. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, recipes, you can always email us those at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at wrestlinghistox. That's wrestling H-I-S-T-O. X. We'll talk to you next week. Later.